If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. everybody, welcome to today's show. My name is Spencer Walsh. Thank you so much for joining us here today. We've got a good one for you as always. And we are starting with some very big news about the war in Ukraine, as I want to bring it to you, because uh, it is very important and exciting. And good news for the Ukrainians here, because uh, they have just uh, completed a sweep into Kherson, or Kherson, I think it's called. Uh, as you can hear the sounds, actually I don't know if you can hear them, but the key thing is Russia is out, Ukraine is in, this is one of the cities that um, was actually declared a month ago uh, would be a pro-Ukrainian city, so it was really just kind of uh, insane, frankly, to see it go this fast. It is really, yeah, it's really quite remarkable. Um, so, you know, the fact that they are, you know, the fact that they're doing this, the fact that they're at this place, really to show you a real larger game has come. Also on the show, we will be talking about Republicans. They're reckoning with the midterm election fall. They may still win the House, but an underwhelming showing is the GOP really wrestling with what went wrong. Was it bad candidates, a bad message, and was that bad message from one person in particular? A lot of people do want to think so. So, also, another controversial decision on the Democrat side, that they, now, looking at their position, are really going to be for themselves for This is Newsflash. Welcome to the show, everyone. Alright, so, yeah, we're going to get into it today, and we're starting at the top with some big news out of Ukraine. Um... And it is, yeah, very big. So they have taken the city of Kherson, 
Um, I do want to play for you some of the sounds of like what it sounded like, but unfortunately, it is proving a little bit harder um, than I would have anticipated. But the thing is, yeah, they're very, very much jubilant scenes, uh, people shouting, people cheering in the streets, soldiers taking you know selfies with all the people. Um, you know, really kind of incredible moment after uh, months and months of this Russian occupation. Um, jubilation has greeted the soldiers, and an explosion of crucial bridge severed um, Kherson City's last major crossing. And uh, Russia said it's com- you know completely withdrawn from the area. So um, this is you know all stuff that's been kind of reclaimed by Ukraine. So it's kind of it's this the southern area. It's right really by Crimea. This is some of the areas where Russia really felt for a long time and had its strongest toll, uh, its strongest grip on that area in terms of occupation. And it really has shown that this is not the case at this point. Um, so Ukraine's troops swept into the key southern city. Uh, the move puts Kiev on the cusp of achieving one of his most significant victories in the war, and it deals a bitter blow to President Vladimir Putin, who just a month ago declared Kherson a region, uh, the Kherson region, a part of Russia forever. So big oops there. Um, other videos, you know, just all these videos, sh- uh, just tons of celebration, shouting, screaming, you know, all in a good way, which is very, very good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so the Ukrainian military. Later warned Russia was preparing to strike the city from new positions across the river. A major bridge connecting the city of Kherson to the eastern bank was blown up in a massive explosion early Friday. Residents said severing the main transit route from Russian supplies coming in from Crimea Crimea, and for Russians seeking to leave Kherson city. The loss of Kherson will be Russia's third major setback of the war following retreats from Kiev, the capital, last spring and of the Kharkiv region in northeast uh this past September, Kherson was the only provincial capital Russia had captured in invading, uh, since inv- invading in February. It was a major link in Russia's effort to control the southern coastline along the Black Sea, which is kind of, you know, the, one of the things that they said, you know, their kind of list of uh, backtracking demands really was uh, they, you know, they want to get, get a land bridge to Crimea. Uh, and Ukrainians have pretty much said, you know, no, we want Crimea back. Um, and that is a big deal there. Um the relatively few residents who remain in Kherson, they've endured curfew, shortage of goods, partisan warfare, and a tense campaign to force them to become Russian citizens and accept Moscow's warped version of their culture and history. The depths of their suffering has yet to come to focus, but for months, re- uh, residents interviewed by journalists have told uh, stories of friends being abducted, children illegally deported, which is really, really crazy. Some of this awful stuff that we, ha- I think, haven't fully uh, begin a process and really know the barely know anything about was the fact that uh, we're starting to understand the fact that children have been deported out of Ukraine and deported out of these uh, regions and sent into Russia uh, for whatever purpose you know we don't even know so right, when Russians have pulled out of elsewhere uh, pulled out elsewhere in Ukraine evidence of human rights abuses have eventually surfaced um, so that's something that is very disturbing to look for. Um, the dramatic scenes in Kherson came less than 48 hours after Russia's defense minister announced that Russian troops in the city would withdraw. So I'm going to put you into uh, gives you an idea of what the situation here is, and it is you know very much one that is always definitely always changing, but for the most part, it is a we're definitely seeing a scene of being trend, which is a lot of a real high. Um, amount of success when it comes to um, the Ukrainians. They're pushing, and they're pushing hard um, in a big way. So the dramatic scenes came less than 48 hours after Russia's defense minister announced Russian troops in the city would withdraw. Um, They still, though, are holding to this fantasy of that being part of Russia. 
um, and has been legally fixed and defined, said Dmitry Peskov, the Kremlin spokesperson. It's uh, There can be no changes here. Um, so, yeah, as he spoke, though, Ukrainian soldiers continued to move through the towns and regions, um, saying that they're leaving at night. So it's a really kind of big, big thing. I really want to see um, how they were able to do this, which is kind of a important thing, to, I think, to understand. Um, but it is, yeah. The the big thing it looks like was this severing this bridge, and really what it looks like has been, uh, you know, effective weapons obviously, but also some really good strategy, and Russia just failing big time on the strategy part, which I think you know as we hear these scenes of jubilation in the streets, you know, it is really quite, a, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see now how this obviously affects the the policy conversation, like where this goes from here. Um, you know, and I think this would be, you know, this would be probably one of the biggest cases for saying, you know, we got to keep pushing. We're going to keep sending this weapons to Ukraine. They're so close. They're almost there, guys. They're making, you know, these real gains. Um, they made three gain, uh, three straight massive uh, retreats out of Russia in, in this year uh, since the war has begun. Um, and I think that's, you know, definitely something you cannot, um, you know, deny. And, you know, the war has really had one major direction but then again how is this going to be resolved and you know i think this really it strengthens the hand for the peace that should eventually come um and yeah i think that is something that will be interesting to see how you know the international community in terms of their support for ukraine how what influence they will have over the peace that comes um and you know obviously first first order of you know, factor, her first order factor, I think really is obviously how Ukraine continues to do on the battlefield. Second order, obviously, is kind of how um, Ukraine gets support and how the the West processes Ukraine. It looked pretty dicey there for the moment, but, you know, the fact with Joe Biden kind of getting this, this big notch in his belt with the midterms and some, you know, kind of continued stability out of Great Britain, I think, you know, mostly they're going to be fine. U- U.S. continuing to send so, so, so much um, in terms of... Uh, all sorts of aid, the real nature of which you know, can't even pretend to understand at this moment, um, but and you know getting very little in terms of input. But it's going to be interesting to see if they do try and obviously force their hand on that input front in the near future. Uh, but it's going to be hard to do if Ukraine can, keeps continuing to do this well. All right, let's move on now to our next story, continuing coverage of the midterms here today. Um, and it's the Republicans. They're not doing well. They're saying their worst midterm performance by a party out of power in two decades, um, training recriminations on party uh, on Friday over whether the ultimate case uh, was poor candidates, an overheated message, or the electoral anchor that appeared to be dragging the GOP down, former President Donald J. Trump. Um, honestly, I think it's all three. <laughs> so, you know, that is, you know, and those things are related. You know, that anchor is picking those poor candidates and dictating launch by that very much overheated message. Although that is something that is I think, really coming from the, the message, the culture war issues, that push is very, very foolish and short-sighted to say that that's only coming from Donald Trump. Um, Democrats in, Democratic incumbents have won so far nearly all of their races, while Republicans have racked up surprising losses from Maine and Washington, while candidates endorsed by Trump losing the pivotal Senate contest in Pennsylvania in key house statewide races in Michigan, uh, Ohio, North Carolina, and elsewhere. As a party, we found ourselves consistently navigating the power struggling uh, struggle between Trump and Trump, uh, anti-Trump factions of the party. 
mostly within the donor class of Paul Cordes, the Michigan uh, Republican Party's chief of staff. He wrote in a memo on Thursday. He continued to say that the power struggle ended with too many people on the sidelines and hurt Republicans and key races. At the end of the day, high-quality, substantive candidates and well-funded campaigns were critical, are still critical. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Two winning elections. I think that is the big thing that the Republicans really, if they learned anything, that is what they learned from this. That you still have to, for the most part, be a normal person in politics from time to time. Especially when Donald Trump is done on the ballot. And especially when there's not all these kind of passions at play that he can can bring to the table. It's really kind of remarkable to to see how that turns out. Um, you know, and we saw this this message where you know a lot in a lot of places where you know there had been an improvement in the economy due to um, you know due to government action, which I think speaks a lot for people, even if their you know inflation at the moment for the moment isn't that good. Um, you know the Joe Biden messaging, the str- and also places where there's a strong Democratic Party, and also places where abortion was on the ballot, they ended up doing really, really well. Um, and Republicans just they did not have any real answers for that kind of a message, and just shows you a real good and I think effective way of going all throughout. So this, this guy, Michigan, he had a rough night. Um, Michigan Republican Party chief of staff. So uh, we struggled in both regards to the detriment of Michiganders across the state. The first substantive battle for the party broke out in the shape of leadership in the next Congress um, in both the House and the Senate. Jason Miller, who's ex- helping to organize Trump's expected announcement next week that he will again seek to presidency, went on Steve Bannon's internet radio show on Friday and issued a veiled threat towards Representative Kevin McCarthy of California, the man who wants to be speaker and whom Trump has called my Kevin. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That is quite a oh, that is unbelievable. That voice just came out of me there. I don't know what happened. But if McCarthy wants to gavel, Miller said, he must be much more declarative that he supports President Trump in twenty twenty four. So okay. Uh it's gonna be interesting to see how much of the base, you know, sticks into what is a full you know, we've seen this type of assault before, but a full Murdoch press flip of the switch 
from Trump to DeSantis. They like the thing about this. I think that's different from times that they really kind of tried to distance distance themselves. Um, you know, after January sixth, they were really repulsed. They were like, you know, this guy's just too much, especially in the more some like respectable outlets. They, you know, they really slammed him in that Humpty Dumpty cover yesterday in the New York Post. But when it comes down to it, the thing is, they did not have up until now. They did not have another face. They did not have another candidate. Um, in twenty sixteen, they had a lot, of, a lot of other candidates, but you know, up until when you know the, the times when they really been mad at him, they had no other vector to channel that energy. But Will Ron DeSantis, as a political figure, be able to handle that? I really don't think so. I mean, this, I, I think you can never judge a candidate or, you know, you never judge a political person when they're at their you know, absolute best or they're at, at their absolute worst. You know, you've got to judge them based on the averages. And I think based on the fundamentals of what you can kind of really consistently see from Ron DeSantis, someone who just like really is a kind of paper tiger. He's someone who looks very, 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 and, you know, Republican paper tigers and you know, for, for poor people, for, uh, minorities, they have real teeth. They it could be really, really bad, and that's something you know got to avoid at all, all costs. It is really, really evil. But uh, you know, as an electoral threat in today's Republican Party compared to Trump, it's going to be very, very hard to see how he can make such a real, real debt because he's just he is going to have to be such a pale impersonation of Trump or or make a negative case, which is going to be so hard to do because he literally built, you know, Trump he, in his you know, rage fit against uh, Ron DeSantis the other day, he, it sounded really bad, but he was right about one thing. He did build Ron DeSantis' career. I remember in his, at when he ran against Andrew Gillum in 2018 for his first term, he released a video campaign ad of him reading The Art of the Deal uh, and building a wall with his toddler son. Um, you know, and that, if that is not the essential fact of Ron DeSantis' political identity, it's hard to say what is. It is hard to say what is, because that is such, you know, like, that's how, you know, he builds his base. He's trying to distinguish it a little bit more. He's, he's not really that guy anymore by any stretch. He's really, um, you know, things have frozen up between the two camps now pretty significantly, but that still is a lot of the way is how, it's how people in the state and how people nationally understand him, um, as kind of a, you know, my rod, you know, for, for Donald Trump. I can't believe we called him that. Uh, uh, it is really quite remarkable. So it is it is interesting. To, there's The civil war is abound here. There's there's really kind of complex back and forth. So because we got Kevin McCarthy, he is under some pressure from, from uh, Jason Miller to endorse Donald Trump right away if he wants a speakership. Especially with that really kind of – and that, the powerful people in that caucus because it's going to be such a smaller than expected slim margin. Um, they're not going to be the moderates. They're going to be people like Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene – excuse me, Jesus Christ um, – and Lauren Boebert if she comes back, which is you know still up for, up for doubt. And I, I really do not think that they're going to learn anything because that is not something that they can do. You know, and I don't think I don't know I don't know how the GOP is going to get control over, and I don't even know if they can control their own base. They just have to kind of find a way to kind of rein them in and kind of paint, take take them in a more respectable direction. But then each each time they keep proving, they keep ripping off the restraints and saying no. Let's let's go more crazy. Let's go more disconnected from not only just like normal policy, but just basic reality in it of itself. Um, and that's not going to be stopping, I think, anytime soon. Um, even in the Senate, where control hangs in the balance, Senators Rick Scott of Florida and Ron Johnson of Wisconsin and Mike Lee of Utah circulated a letter asking for a delay in leadership elections that had been calls 
uh, from the former president to depose Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky as a Republican leader. Uh, they want to, you know, wait till control of the Senate is at least in balance, I guess. And these are Trump allies, so, you know, presumably they're trying to buy some time to marshal some support. These guys are probably not going to be big fans of uh, Mitch McConnell, Ron Johnson, especially a Trump sycophantic type guy. Um, so we were all disappointed that Red Wave failed to materialize, and there are multiple reasons it did not. They wrote, we did. We need to have serious discussions within our conference as to why and what we can do to improve our chances for 2024. Senator Marco Rubio, handily reelected to his seat in Florida, seconded the call. We need to make sure that those who want to lead us are genuinely committed to fighting for the priorities and values for working Americans of every background who gave us big wins in states like hashtag Florida, um, quickly receiving the backing of ten, Senators Ted Cruz and Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming. No idea who that person is. Wow. I, someone I follow politics, I do not know who Cynthia Lummis is. Uh, but, you know, she does represent she does represent Wyoming at the end of the day. Uh, but, the, yeah, so there you see it. The Trump allies, the people who are really kind of built their careers, whether they are, they're, you know, Trump-era careers. You know, before that, they were, you know, definitely opposed to Trump when he was coming up, like Ted Cruz, obviously. But... They are now saying, you know, we need to we need to do some time. We need to adjust. You know, this is all people who want to plot, who want to, you know, do their machinations. And it's going to be very, very interesting because, you know, it all comes down to with the Republican Party in a way that it's never really been at all with the Democratic Party. Their base is so much more important for their, you know, for what they're able to do and, you know, just who they can put in charge. Because the, the base does just not care about electability. There's Republicans, the people who are just saying this, and they're realizing they're kind of freaking out because they care and they want their jobs. Um, but they know that the base, they don't, they couldn't care less. They care about fealty to Donald Trump. That is the psychological makeup of it. And if you're, if, and that's the majority, it's not all people, but the people who it's not are not Republicans anymore. And the people who are sticking around in the party um, are not the the Mark or you know I shouldn't say Marco Rubio types because Marco Rubio is a you know full Trump guy now, but like the, these are not like the the Bill Crystal the Mark Thyssen this is a, this is a pundit who made the rounds kind of pretty popular uh, video over Twitter of him just saying you know Trump needs to go this is awful he's dragging the party down all the people that are saying that like the Daily Wire the Ron DeSantis faction of the Republican Party they're a shrinking minority and they are not going to be I, like still uh, they're not going to be. Uh, listen to, even though that they, they, for the sake of the Republican Party in the long term, they probably, you know, almost certainly are right. But because of the rhetoric they have espoused for so long, it is just never going to happen because they are, you know, it's, it's all about one thing. They, they built it up. The same people who are now trying to tear it down have built it back up or spent the past, you know, uh, five, five, six years building it up. And now they're having a real, real tough time trying to, you know, tear it back down when it gets out of control. And that kind of just threatens to uh, topple all over them, which is really, really fascinating. My name is Spencer Walsh. This is the Spencer Walsh Radio Network. And if you're listening to one of our podcasts, whether it's Newsflash, Hidden History, The Spencer Walsh Show, or something else, Ladies and gentlemen, we have one simple request of you. Please be sure to rate us, subscribe to us if you like us, and leave us a comment. Because just like all of you, sometimes we need that feedback in our lives, good or bad. We want to hear what you have to say. So please 
do those steps, make SWR and content better. And thank you so much for listening. All right, ladies and gentlemen. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, it's time to play kind of our, you know, what's, what's going to turn into our, you know, daily game at this point is who will win the house in 2022. Um, and it's really just kind of constantly changing. This was kind of uh, 13 hours ago. This is uh, two hours. And it's really kind of a crazy situation. Uh, but still, the point is control of Congress is very much in limbo. Um, and Americans are going to still, yeah, really definitely wondering. Uh, they're going to be still waiting, you know, well into Friday here. Recording this Friday at six o'clock. Um, no, three years after the final ballots were cast in the 2022 midterm elections, more than two dozen House races have not yet been called, with a number of them in California. And that is something that you know is really. I've been seeing some of the clips going around with Tucker Carlson and all those people saying, you know, it's been it's an absolute disgrace what's been going on with our election system. You know, it takes so long to count these ballots, but you know, they it's really kind of insidious because. They are right about the fact that, you know, it, it's UK elections, pretty much everywhere, elections everywhere are counted anywhere from the course of one night to, um, you know, to like literally two or three hours because they're and they're all like massive populations, you know, countries that we would pride, you know, you know, it, the average American would consider themselves, you know, way, you know, more institutionally sound than a country like Brazil, but they they will get the results of an election in three hours after the polls close. And it's a federal election, and they will call every single local election below that in that time as well. So there's really no excuse for it. But the the really insidious thing is the only people who are talking about it is the Republicans. And they're saying that they, oh, they care, they're bringing up these points about, oh, in Brazil it's different like this. Um, in England it's like this. And, you know, international people will say it too because because they genuinely can't believe it. But what Republicans want to do is they want to sow doubt. They just want to, you know, devalue, you know, do trust the you know general electoral process and their policies of you know making it harder to vote, generally defunding the wheels of government, um, has just made it so that it takes so damn long to count these votes in these places. Um, and a lot of it also, you know, is mail in ballots. Um, you know, in California, for example, that's, you know, obviously not a Republican uh, situation, but it's just a an effort in this country that has kind of really, really been the same reason why, you know, a lot of other countries, you barely even have to like register to vote. Um, it's so much easier. The access to the ballot is just so, so, so much easier. It's because they actually want the elections to run smoothly. That attitude in this country has just pervaded for so long. For a lot of reasons, a lot of them just being very, very racially tinged, you know, to 
to be the New York Times, to say the least, and it understated a little. Uh, but as of Friday morning, Republicans have won 211 seats. Democrats won 197 uh, and 27 races. 27 races remain uncalled. A party needs 218 seats to control the House. There's seven seats away of the Republicans. Um, so can they win the seven? That is a big question. Um, they will have to the, – they definitely have better odds. Um, they are up in right now, although, you know, Warren Bober, they're, they're up right now in the Bober race, but that's believed to, you know, flip soon. The Duarte race we talked about yesterday, you know, all those same races that Duarte, there's California 41 um, in Palm Desert in the Inland Empire area. Uh, that is also one that 53% of the vote only is in. So it's going to be a lot more to go in that one. Um, so those two uh, are, you know, already looking kind of incredibly vulnerable there. Although it just seemed like, you know, the, the most likely scenario is a 2-3 seat uh, majority for the Democrats. So they're up to 14 seats. Um, take away – sorry, Republicans up – or have or have won in 221 seats. To take away those maybe, I don't know, three seats that I mentioned, the two in California and the Lauren, Lauren Boebert seat, they're already at 218. So that's 218, 217 right there. Um, and now all they need there is one other seat. And then so much could change, um, which is which is really quite incredible. So that kind of shows you, you know, where things are in the moment and it, how close it's going to be. And it really just... You know, all down to California in this in this point. Maybe the emphasis, and that will finally get Gavin Newsom and the kind of vice like grip that he has over that seat to finally change things up. All right, let's move on to our last story, and that is with the Democrats. And you know, a big reason why they're holding not holding the House right now. Um, so so this is in the Intercept at this point. Um, against all odds, Democrats have. You know, continue to have a plausible house, path to retaining the House majority, putting a microscope on strategic decisions made by party leaders in the final weeks of the campaign. The race may have even come down to a single seat, elevating the cost to the party of its underperformance in the home state of Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, a Democrat of New York, the chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, whose high-profile big footing of a de- fellow Democrat ended with a surprise loss on Tuesday. It has also put a spotlight on this race in Oregon, that could prove pivotal. Uh, that is the Jamie McLeod Skinner race um, in the Oregon's fifth district. That one we didn't talk about because Chavez uh, Deremer, Lori Chavez Deremer, um, is up by about two percent right now. It's the fifth con- congressional district in Oregon, stretching uh, south and east from the Portland suburbs uh, in Clackamas County to Deschutes County, which includes the rapidly growing and highly competitive city of Bend. Uh, so McLeod Skinner made national headlines earlier this year for defeating seven-term incumbent. Kurt Schrader in a fiercely contested primary. Her win, the only success an insurgent candidate notched against a Democratic incumbent in the cycle, was driven by a lopsided overperformance in Deschutes. Schrader has been a member of the so-called Unbreakable Nine, who organized against President Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda and said in a private call with the dark money sponsors of their operation, no labels, that he hoped to kill it. National progressive groups, as well as most of the local Democratic Party operations, rallied behind McLeod Skinner to knock out Schrader in May. And while the DCCC made an investment of just under $2 million in the race, they came off the air in the final few weeks in the leadership 
uh, aligned super PAC uh, political action committee, the House Majority PAC, literally run by Sean Patrick Maloney, someone who is a very closely aligned to that unbreakable non-group, um, made the move. I made the eyebrow-raising move to triage the race all together. House Majority PAC Communication Director C.J. Warnke declined to explain the reasoning behind the move, but told The Intercept Friday that he had made the strategic decisions across the country to build the most optimal path to democratic success this cycle. Um, our investments have made a major difference, uh, he says, all across the uh, the state and more. So yeah, House Majority PAC, literally run by this guy, uh, Maloney, um, and of course... The fiasco in the neighboring 6th Congressional District it has, has the House Majority PAC's fingerprints all over it. Yeah, so you got Oregon's 6th District, which essentially is, you know, right next door to the 7th, or 5th, obviously. Um, and that starts with the House Majority PAC as well. So there we got Andrea Salinas. She entered the general election, bruised from an expensive primary contest in the nation. One of the most, no, the most, excuse me, after former crypto, former, emphasis on former there, because that... Mother effort lost all his money in about the span of a weekend. Um, so him uh, and the House Majority PAC teamed up in an over $10 million failed attempt to anoint political newcomer and effective out to his Carrick Flynn as the nominee. Maybe that money, again, would have been spent better on malaria nets, you know, effective altruists. That's what I thought, you know, they were supposed to do, stay out of politics. Um, the unorthodox partnership appeared to be the result of a quid pro quo as uh, bankman free contemporary. Uh, contemporaneously donated $6 million to the committee. Uh, House Majority PAC uh, spent about a $1 million on Flynn, ended up spending $3.25 million on uh, helping Salinas win in the general election in a seat that was considered safe earlier in the cycle. So the C spent about $1.75 million boosting Salinas. Bankman Freed was worth billions of dollars, but now he appears broke. So <laughs> how about that? Republicans, on the other hand, treated the race in Oregon's 5th District as the toss-up it clearly was. They spent nearly $8 million in total, spending that balloon all the way through Election Day. That put Oregon's 5th in the top 20 when it came to spending by House Republicans, when McLeod Skinner was near the bottom for Democrats when it came to competitive races. Republicans had more money to work with. Congressional Leadership Fund, the House Republican Super PAC, had some $250 million to parcel right around the country. Well, Democrats had about 140. Um, the data just wasn't there in the race, argued one Democratic operative. Uh, Portland was an incredibly expensive media market. I don't know where you could have pulled the money from. Of course, the much cheaper Ben Media Market in the southeastern part of the district, where it was probably one of the most competitive areas of the race, also went untapped. Well, a handful of progressive organizations stepped in to alleviate some of the financial disparity, including a $1 million investment from the Working Families Party across the primary in general. Their limited resources met McLeod Skinner, who had long declined support from corporate-funded PACs, is left with an outside spending deficit of over $5 million. The progressive groups who worked to close that gap had been sharp in their criticism, while they pumped last-minute money into the DCCC's chair's losing race in New York. Indivisible National political director Danny Negrete told The Intercept, Jamie has been holding on entirely ba um, holding on uh, based on her strength as a candidate and her grassroots support. Um, you know, that is, that is very, very interesting. I think very, very important. The party's underinvestment of uh, McLeod Skinner, and I think it would be really an amazing story if she's able to hold on. It just shows you that they do not want these people, and they're willing to let Republicans, literally, they're willing to give up their House majority 
um, to not let these people in the Congress because they think that they will be bad. They think they're going to be worse than the Republicans. And that's why, you know, when they come bitching to you, when they come moaning to you, oh, why didn't you vote for us? It's because they don't treat you with any respect. It's because they don't treat me with any respect. They don't treat what I believe with any respect. That's the reason why I did not vote for Sean Patrick Maloney, because he does not respect me. At a fundamental level, I'm not going to do something for someone that does not respect me, and this is a clear example of it. He would rather let a Republican in in Oregon. Twice he would let a, let, rather let a Republican in, in an Oregon. Another great example of it is twice in Nebraska, Kara Eastman abandoned during her run uh, against Don Bacon, and that is it, uh, in the first in the first district there. That was another competitive seat that was just flushed down the toilet because again they don't want anyone left of I don't know maybe Elizabeth Warren anywhere near power. That is intolerable to these people, and it is more intolerable than them having to sit on the sidelines for a year um, and fundraise off of all the bad stuff Republicans do, which is essentially what Democrats do when they lose power. So that is, you know, that is what is going on. That is what they think of you, really, really clearly. Um, there, and it cannot be, you know, I think very, it cannot be better, you know, explained. So. Despite the headwinds he faced earlier this year, Don Bacon, uh, trounced Democrat Tony Vargas, who ran with the blessing of the National Party by a margin nearly identical to the margin he beat Eastman in in 2020, demonstrating that progressive antipathy is unworkable as either a short-term or long-term strategy if National Democrats hope to wield power rather than appease wealthy donors. But, again, we're seeing time and time again, they don't. They literally don't. Um... House Speaker Nancy Pelosi suggested the Maloney should be lauded for his loss on the grounds that it enabled victory elsewhere across the map. <laughs> Former president, uh, presidential contender and current representative Seth Moulton echoed the sentiment, uh, declaring himself first on the list of Maloney fans for supposedly, uh, supposedly putting himself at risk for the sake of the party. Several of the Democrats, uh, the Democratic seats that Republicans managed to pick up, including the Long Island-based 3rd and 4th District, which Biden won by 8 and 15 points respectively, saw less than $3 million in investment by the DCCC and House Majority PAC. Those figures greatly lag behind the over $4 million in spending Maloney was able to marshal from new outside PACs in his ill-fated quest to hold a seat that Biden won by over 10 points, according to a daily cost calculation. In Long Island, Democrats were also hurt by the retirement of Representative Tom Suozzi and the redistricting process ordered by the Court of Appeals, which pushed the primary back to September, giving Democrats only two months to campaign for the general election. Some races in California, where key elections hang in the balance, also saw Democrats outspent. And two particularly glaring examples, the party's National Committee invested $23,000 in a very, very tight seat for uh, Christy Smith in the 25th, uh, which is outside of L.A., um, and an underwhelming $204,000 in Jay Chen, two Democratic nominees who challenged Republican in, uh, you know, very slightly Democratic-leaning districts. Smith said she had a very narrow path remaining as, ballots count- as more ballots continued to be counted, but she had no kind words for Washington Democrats. They did more than give up on me, she said, noting the DCCC recruited a candidate to run against her in the primary, despite her having lost in 2020 by fewer than 350 votes. With the party machinery uh, behind John Quay Cordery, the Smith fundraising capacity was suppressed, and she blew through her millions of dollars to win the primary entering the general broke the national party's preferred candidate won just 4037 votes in the primary which is really incredible uh in any you know primary ever 4000 votes jesus christ 
that was a waste of $1 million in donor money. He raised to get a single-digit result. $2 million in the Dem donor money wasted on a primary that they created, Smith said, after the that the party just gave up and walked away from the race. In a neighboring Arizona, Kristen Angle, Kirsten Angle, um, is defying expectations in her bid in the Tucson-based 6th Congressional District after receiving over 70000 in support from Democrats' national committees, a paltry sum against an opponent who received nearly $5 million in support from Republican groups. Both parties missed some of the close races. Uh, nobody saw the challenge. Democrat Adam Frisch would present to Lauren Boebert in Colorado. And in California's 41st, neither national party is vested in any serious way with the race neck and neck and many mail-in ballots still to be counted. But I think this is a really kind of valuable lesson for progressives. Time and time again, we see it. It is always, it's always there. You know, you just want to, you know, just yell it at people because they just do not understand. The fact is that literally they do not care. If someone who believes that, you know, maybe uh, the rich should pay more in tax so we should have better social services, um, if they want they, – people who actually believe that, if they get anywhere near power, um, you know, that is a worse outcome for people like Nancy Pelosi and Sean Patrick Miller than having to sit on the sidelines with a, you know, Republican majority in the speakership. And on that note, we will actually be, be back uh, next Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. It's been Newsflash. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.